0: Hey, thanks for tuning into the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings in the craft food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. Here, I interview folks around the world who are doing mighty things in these industries. My goal is to entertain, educate, and inspire. If I'm doing those things, give us a five-star rating and a little follow over there on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment if you can. It goes a long way in helping others find the show. And you know, hey, we appreciate it. This podcast is sponsored by CraftBrewingInsurance.com, CraftDistillingInsurance.com, and InsuringWine.online. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome into to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. That's what you listen to while you brew. That's what's in your ears as you drink beers. Today, we're bringing in a woman that I've been following for a long time. I love her work, and she's kind of a big deal. Uh, she's a reporter and editor with a decade of experience in magazine and newspaper, online publishing, and the craft beer spirits and food and dining spheres. These are her words. Uh, she was an editor at the Takeout uh, Draft Magazine, the Chicago Tribune, um, and now she joins uh, Great beer Hunt, Good Beer Hunting, Great beer hunting. I love hunting grape beer all as well. Um, and, you know, as the sight lines primary lead over there, um, she is a BJCP beer judge, a graduate of Northwestern, a self-proclaimed accomplished chicken mom. Ladies and gentlemen, she's Kate Bernat. Hello, Kate.
1: Hi, Kyle. Thank you for having me and for that um, really wonderful introduction. Made sure to get the chickens in there. Yes. All of the above.
0: Yeah, so I mean we just I think we have to start off with chickens, you know. Tell me about your chickens. <laughs> why why do you have chickens? How do you have chickens and and what makes <laughs> an accomplished chicken mom?
1: Uh an accomplished chicken mom is one whose chickens are still alive. So that's me. <laughs> um and I have them cuz I I I always wanted them. When I was living in a tiny tiny apartment in Chicago, I really wanted backyard chickens. Now I live in the Zula, Montana and I can have them. So mm. that's how that came about.
0: Are backyard chickens and front yard chickens are they different?
1: um you know front yard chickens i guess the neighbors would be able to like see your coop set up uh yeah no mine are definitely the backyard uh that's cool backyard chicken how many do you have four do you hold them like do do you have do they have names they have names they don't like being held so much Yeah. so we don't we don't snuggle or or any they don't know any tricks um but they're cute i think they're cute they lay a lot of eggs that's good
0: yeah okay it doesn't get fresher than that, right?
1: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's that's the rundown. That's the rundown on the backyard chickens.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> all we needed to know. Perfect. Um, so yeah, so you are in Missoula, Montana, by way of Chicago. Is that right?
1: And with with a couple years in Phoenix, Arizona, in the middle too, when I was working for Draft Magazine, it was based in Phoenix. So a couple okay. years in Phoenix, decided it was too hot. I needed more mountains and rivers in my life. So here I am in Missoula. Yeah.
0: So I've been to Arizona. I thought about living there and it actually felt like, I said it the other day. I was like, it feels like Arizona outside. Like you open up your door and you get hit in the face with heat. It's not fun.
1: Yeah. No, it's not. And and Phoenix never cools down at night, which is so bizarre to me. You could open your window at four in the morning and it would be more than a hundred degrees. And I don't think humans or at least this human needs to live in that condition. So got a there.
0: incredible power grid. I would assume that there's just like blackouts, brownouts, like constantly. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's impressive. It's hot.
1: It was not, it was not my thing. It's beautiful. It, yeah. The the Southwest is incredible. I mean, Utah is an amazing state that I feel like doesn't get enough love for how yeah. beautiful the outdoors are there. Like deserts are very cool. Um, yeah. I just can't live in one year round.
0: Yeah. No, I hear you. It is interesting how you go from like cactus though, and you get more North and then there's pine trees and stuff, you know,
1: that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you are in Missoula, Montana. Your Instagram photos are unbelievable. And I'm, I'm assuming they're, you know, hashtag no filter because it's just that pretty.
1: <laughs> it is. It is really beautiful here. And if you like spending time on rivers, in mountains, biking, camping, any of that, I don't think you can get a much better place. So, so yeah, I've, I've really found my, my happy place here for sure.
0: I just want to like, I see your pictures and I just really, I just want to grow a really long beard and like <laughs> and just live in the woods.
1: That, uh, yep. you That's Montana. There you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what brought you to Montana?
1: Uh. Needing to get out of Phoenix, um, <laughs> you no. Know, uh, so I was working for Draft Magazine in Phoenix, and it was pretty much my dream job. I was loving it. I love print publications; um, they are so wonderful. I love holding something in my hand. Uh, I love working with an art department, things like that. So yeah, Draft was great, uh, but Phoenix was not. And I met my now husband, then boyfriend uh, in Phoenix and he is a fish biologist. And he was working in Phoenix as a fish biologist, which is hard on account of no water. Um, yeah. So he was also- <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> like I can't find any fish.
1: Yeah, the problem with the fish here is there's no water. Um, <laughs> so he was also looking to uh, make a move. And got a job in Missoula. I absolutely loved it when I um, had just been up here on weekends. And uh, incredibly, my job at Draft um, was like, sure, go ahead, work remotely. So I was oh, still working for them for about a year when I moved here. Um, and yeah, it was it was really wonderful that they allowed me to kind of make that big geographic shift. Yeah. Uh, they were ahead of their time pre COVID, you know, with right, the remote right. work. <laughs>
0: Like, here's a laptop. You can do this anywhere. And you're like, Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And, and it, and it really did work out. Um, and yeah, I was, I was so glad that I was able to keep doing a job I loved in a place that I loved.
0: That's awesome. That's what it's all about.
1: <clears throat> oh.
0: So you mentioned something there, you know, I can't read, I love to read, but I cannot read with like a Kindle or on my phone. Like I need to hold it. You know, I still, we get the newspaper on, I think it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday and like, I like to hold it and I like to read it. I like to take it somewhere and it's not a blue screen in my eyes. So I love that you said that. Um, I love holding physical books and I I just hope that I assume they'll never like go away, but I don't know. It's just a shift, right? I mean, is there like the magazine is the magazine disappearing or is it more digital or like, what what do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think digital news fits the, Case of of social media of of it's how, fast, fast. how fast, yeah it yeah, dude I hear you. <laughs> um, but uh, you know on the on the other end though there are a lot of encouraging things happening. I believe in print publishing even within the beer sphere. So um, in addition to covering news for Good Beer Hunting, which is obviously online. I'm a contributing editor at Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, uh, a physical print magazine that will be delivered to your home if you subscribe. And as well as our brewing industry guide, which is obviously the industry-focused publication. Mm -hmm. And that uh, publication specifically, we recently expanded its page count. So that magazine is only growing bigger and better Mm -hmm. um, because there's demand from the industry for for that content and for industry specific kind of guidance in a print form and so i mean obviously we have a website as well but it's been really cool to again get to to participate and be a part of a a print publication because yeah it makes me so happy to see that come in the mail and then i love reading the stuff that other writers have written and you can really like tuck into it
0: i agree um, yeah, there's just something to be said about, you know, sitting on your porch and not holding your phone, right. Holding a book or holding a magazine. Do you start when you, when you get a magazine, do you start at the back? Some people <laughs> start, start backwards.
1: Uh, uh, I, I always know I start in the front and I, because I am a writer myself, I look over the masthead and okay. I look over like the editor's letter, like the stuff everyone else skips over. I like, I, see, I
0: always like the editor's letter. I always feel like the last page always has like some sort of commentary cool. too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No, back pages and magazines are, are fascinating with what publications do with them. Uh, but yeah, I, I read the nerdy front stuff yeah. up front, <laughs> the fine yeah. print.
0: Yeah. I think, well, it makes the rest of the magazine, you know, flow, right. You start, you know, you understand why and what and how, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Super cool. Well, how did you get into writing? Like, were you always a writer? Was this something in high school? You're like, I love journalism kind of deal or what?
1: Yeah, I was definitely one of those kids who was always writing from the minute I learned how to write. Um, this is like the origin story that I tell. But as a, <laughs> as a kid in like elementary and middle school, I attempted to publish my own newspaper about like my family and my friends. And I tried to sell subscriptions to it to our neighbors okay. who were very sweet and like would humor me and give me like a dollar and i would i would print it on our home printer which was like janky and old yeah. and like <laughs> there's there,
0: there's still like that like I got my pr- I have printer it still doesn't work they're the worst
1: printers are still bad yeah, yeah. what what where why, is the innovation there
0: why can't we figure it out
1: it's and what, it's and what not do i complicated. do with, like
0: what do i do with my old toner i can't throw it out and i can't like take it you know I don't
1: know. It's like a an old pack tech. You just collect it forever until you die. Yeah. And then <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was trying to publish my own newsletter about stuff no one cares about. Um, but yeah, then I went to uh, I went to college. I was a journalism major. I started working for um the Chicago Tribune's commuter paper as a copy editor pretty soon after college. Yeah. So really went the kind of straight journalism route with a few. Bumps nice. and twists along the way. But yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh so what is it about writing that you really enjoy? Like is it let like you kind of just disappear into another land and kind of just write your thoughts or
1: um, I feel like creative writing does that. Journalism, I think, is more for me um, the perfect job if you're a nosy person, which I am. <laughs> um, it I you know I was always also that annoying kid like asking questions about like why and when and um and the greatest thing about being a reporter to me is that you call up people and you ask them questions and for some reason they answer you they tell you (laughs) like no one is legally obligated to talk to me right and yet people pick up the phone they call you back they tell you really personal things about them. They tell you about how much money their business makes. They, t- you know, if you are interested in how things get made, um, you know, how does beer get to my refrigerator? What are all those in between <laughs> steps? Being a reporter is like the best job you can have. Cause you just get to ask those questions every day. Yeah, yeah. And in the pre COVID times, I got to go on, you know, you get to go on brewery visits, you get to go to you know, physically see different places. And and I always thought those were like field trips. You just get to go see cool stuff. Um, yeah. So for me, it's, it's kind of the perfect job. I get to write. I get to be nosy. I get to tell people stories. I get to learn something every single day. I talk to fascinating people. Um, yeah. I can't really imagine doing anything else.
0: So when I'm calling a brewery, I should just pretend I'm a reporter and be like, hey, uh, ask them questions. It'll tell me anything.
1: I mean, you're you're a podcaster. You're like practically there. <laughs> so um, what I
0: will say, like, so again, I'll, you know, I write insurance. So you know, when I call a brewery or someone, I'm like, hey, you know, you know, I, I work with over a hundred, you know, craft breweries and do all this. And like, yeah, we're good, and they hang up. Or I have a call back and be like, hey, you know, I was wondering if I could talk to you about your brewery on my podcast. So they're like, sure, let's do it.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. Like I'm the yep. same guy.
0: Now you want to talk to me?
1: People love to talk about themselves. I think it's a natural human. We're all trying to connect with each other and find common ground. And you want to have your experiences and worldview validated. Uh, Yeah. People, people just talk to you. It's fascinating.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So you just got to learn how to ask good questions. Right. Um, And people will just talk, you know, it's funny when you'll end up having you know, I just, I was literally on an insurance meeting before I came here and I would just ask like, a question. And the, the gentleman would talk for like 15 minutes. And then like, you get to the end of the meeting or whatever. And they're like, wow, this is a lot of fun. Like you were great. I'm like, I didn't say anything. You talked the whole time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> so People just
1: like talking. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the question is, is just getting them to that point. Yep. Yeah.
0: I don't know your age. I feel like you're younger than me, but I just, when you're talking about journalism and whatnot, I'm thinking of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, April O'Neil. She's the reporter. In her jumpsuit. Yeah. I feel like like that's you, right? Instead of she's got a gun, I feel like you got the beer glass, you know?
1: April O'Neil is very cool. Uh, Yes, I am. I am 33 for the record. So I understand Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle references. (laughs) Perfect. That's good.
0: All right, cool. All right, so... Do you think that where you are located out there in Montana, I guess, where, where do you sit down and write? Do you write outside while you're overlooking a beautiful landscape or do you hunker down (laughs) in an office?
1: No, I, I write in my office and I, that was something a little rule I sort of made for myself when I went freelance about a year and a half ago, I was like, look, if I'm going to be self-employed and I'm going to, you know, do this for myself, uh, I really need to have that home life separation. So I mean, I'm not saying I'm never typing on my couch or kitchen counter, but I really, right. when I'm doing the bulk of my writing and interviewing, I really do try to be in my office, in my basement.
0: <laughs> and you're typing or do you put like pencil to pad?
1: Uh, I type, but I I do take notes on a legal pad and I go through many, many, many legal pads. Um, and yeah. I don't like writing on other types of notebooks for some reason. Such so um, as like Legal pads, pads are just my jam. No illegal pads. That would be illegal.
0: <laughs> These are paid for.
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. So how often do you put out an article? I mean, you're you seem pretty busy.
1: I am busy. I, yeah. So I probably publish something for good beer hunting at least once, if not twice ish a week. And okay. then I also have a few deadlines every month for craft beer and brewing and I write, regularly for a couple other outlets um i sometimes write about food for america's test kitchen because in the before beer times i wrote about food actually so uh yeah that's that's the life of the freelancer is uh hustling and deadlines and being busy all the time
0: (laughs) thinking about beer and food the whole time so now you're hungry and thirsty and you're writing and
1: that's yep. Just uh just hunched over my laptop like with the with a beer on the side and yeah. clacking the keys away. <laughs> exactly.
0: So how'd you go from food to beer? Or how'd you even get into food?
1: Mm. Food was interesting to me because I had worked in high school and college in food service. I was a server. I worked at an amazing nice. deli when I was in college. And I thought restaurants and food were the greatest
0: especially in Chicago. I mean, come on.
1: Yes, exactly. An amazing food city. I thought, you know, the, the humanity and the hospitality of food was wonderful. Um, so I thought that's what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to write about food. I've done that for quite a while. Um, and then beer just kind of grew out of food. So I was living in Chicago. I'm reporting on food. I'm working at the Chicago Tribune's commuter paper, which was called red eye. And, um, Breweries were just exploding, uh, you know, opening at this incredible rate. And there were such good ones in Chicago. This is like Mm -hmm. 2012, 13. Um, And our readership at Red Eye was young, commuting millennials, people going to their jobs in their 30s. And um, I was like, this is what my audience cares about. So I decided I was going to kind of make myself the beer reporter at Red Eye. And I did that just by... I learned about beer just by reporting and by asking breweries to let me come and see how they made beer. Yeah. And, yeah. and every, that's the amazing thing about the beer world is everyone was so welcoming and just like, sure. If you want to come watch a brew day, like anytime. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just can learn, always like yeah. use
0: it use an extra hand, you know, they're like, yeah, All right, <laughs> totally. hold this, please. Thank you.
1: Totally. And same thing. Just people like to be asked questions about their job and what they do. And yeah. that's how I started to report about beer. Very cool. And then Uh, it quickly took over (laughs) as we know it does.
0: (laughs) It does. Uh, So when we're in Chicago, I mean, you're kind of known for the Chicago hot dog and the deep dish pizza. What is Montana (laughs) known for food wise?
1: Uh, Beef.
0: Okay. Makes sense.
1: Bison meat, elk, like, yeah, meat, I guess. (laughs) Um, I was not, I would have never called myself a steak lover until i moved out here and it turns out i just wasn't eating very good steak <laughs> Sure. and sure. now being able to get local beef from local ranches that are like grass-fed and yeah. so fresh yeah. um happy yeah happy i've beef. totally come around on it so happy yeah beef. happy cows you know mm. along yeah. the river with the big montana sky they that's do cool. look happy i swear yeah. <laughs> that's
0: way better than being cooped up in a pen or you know
1: yeah absolutely so yeah that's that's the thing to eat out here and also bison burgers bison is pretty delicious as well
0: so do you guys have vegetables or it's just meat
1: (laughs) that's why (laughs) i have a garden that's why i have a garden in the backyard (laughs)
0: okay and you got your dairy Uh, you know your dairy chickens running
1: around yeah i got my got my fresh eggs got some veggies yeah um huckleberries that's that is the thing too so they're like they're a little bit smaller than blueberries they grow wild all around montana and idaho you can go pick them a little bit later in the summer and they are delicious Hmm. they're
0: are they the color of a blueberry
1: they're a little bit deeper purple okay but pretty close yeah
0: what about flavor wise what are they similar to
1: kind of like a blueberry maybe a little bit even sweeter sometimes they're smaller um yeah they're just great okay. um so huckleberries are also a very very montana thing
0: good to know yeah all right
1: come out sometime eat steak like and to. huckleberries
0: <laughs> i've been to i was in colorado when i was younger and we drove to wyoming um, mm-hmm. but i have not been to montana could like have kept North.
1: Could yeah have, could have made it <laughs> i feel like
0: they're very similar such yeah, big such big states it's like holy crap that's a long drive you know
1: it is, and I grew up on the East Coast. So to me, the sense of scale here is just wild. Like, here, yeah, yeah. three hours' drive is like not a big deal.
0: Right. That's just a normal trip to like your mailbox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just going to get a gallon of milk, you know?
0: <laughs> uh, you need a calendar yard now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I wanted to, you know, catch up here because there were some articles that caught my attention and I, you know, I didn't know much about some of these items and I, you know, just wanted to pick your brain on them and see what your thoughts were. So, you know, the first one I had Brendan Paul Freeman on talking, you know, identity protection and, you know, IP, um, intellectual property, uh, identity protection, Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, so I was reading your article about the glassware and the IP and Nick Rex and Rex, you know, the Rex Tacular Subware. And, you know, and then Brendan was in the article. So you're mm-hmm. like what you know, have you seen, you know, what I guess what have you seen, you know, kind of on the rise here? You know, what brought your attention to writing about that topic?
1: Yeah, so I will admit that this like hype glassware with custom designs was not necessarily on my radar i tend to focus a lot now in my reporting on like the business of beer and yep. some of these kind of niche online communities yep. are are not on my radar also i'm not on facebook so that's like where all of this is happening
0: sam and i it's you know. <laughs> yeah it's the i'm an instagram yeah. guy i just feel like facebook is just negative and I yes. try to keep out of Facebook
1: my, yeah. was the greatest thing I ever did, except for when I need to report on hype glassware. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this story came on my radar actually through M Sauter who writes pipes or draws pints and panels. Um, she's so knowledgeable and smart and just someone I really, really appreciate as like a colleague in the, in the beer media world. So, M. uh, shot me over some examples of these glasses. And she's like, look, as an artist myself, I just don't understand like how this is legal. You know, have you ever looked into this? And I was like, no, I haven't. How popular is this? And then kind of she and I were just in each other's messages going down this rabbit hole of like, there's so much of this and it's its own little economy really. And it kind of operates under these weird rules and unofficial codes. And it just became this fascinating subculture that I didn't know anything about and wanted oh. to learn more about. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the legal issues um, were kind of the most important piece of yeah, that puzzle. And that,
0: you know, I had that conversation with Brendan and it was like, this looks identical to that. Uh, you know, character, or whatever, mm-hmm. or that other logo. But there's like one tweak so that they think they can get away with, oh, it's not the same. Like, yeah, but it kind of is, right? We know what you're referring to. We understand that, you know, it's a likeness, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know? That's Bart Simpson. Yeah. We're not confused about who that is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's
0: definitely Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah. So
1: uh,
0: it's just that, interesting. What, yeah. How, like, how big is the community? Like what else did you learn?
1: Um. Yeah, there are, I mean, hundreds of people in in various groups um, that are kind of devoted to like collecting and buying and showing off yeah, their yeah. glassware. And there are, um, you know, I, I'm willing to say like dozens of these glassware designers. Um, a couple of them actually talked to me, which was wonderful because I got to better understand. Because you were like, like, hey, I'm
0: a journalist. Tell me everything.
1: <laughs> uh, again, yes. People <laughs> just answer the phone and talk to you. About legally dubious activities <laughs> uh, and they it was fascinating because when I kind of went into reporting this, I assumed that this was like purely a money making thing, right like I'm designing these Bart Simpson glasses, I'm making like twenty bucks a pop, you know nice little nice little side hustle, yeah, um, and what I learned was like the money actually seems. To some of them to be kind of secondary to like the prestige of designing these and like having people want them hmm. and like gaining status within this glassware subculture. So okay. they're kind of doing it like for the notoriety, for the excitement of having people want something that you made. Right. Um, you and you that, created it yeah. and
0: somebody bought it. It's just like, right, any artist, I guess, just making a yeah. painting and someone buying it. Okay.
1: Totally. So that that kind of surprised me and was almost like a more it made the story more interesting to me because it was like, okay, this isn't just a pure dollars and cents. How much can they make doing this? There were all these other kind of complicated Hmm. motivations that that people had for doing it. So I learned a lot in the course of reporting that story. And I'm like very grateful for the designers who talked to me because I I got a little peek in their world. Well,
0: what I was thinking, you know, when I see the glassware for the most part, I always thought that it was, you know, a brewery employee, right? We're going to put out this glass and we're going to sell it with this release or something. But it's not that. Like, these people don't necessarily work at the brewery. They're just making glassware.
1: Yeah, they're just, you know, it could be you in your basement. You know, you're like, I really like Ren and Stimpy. I'm going to make this Ren and Stimpy glass where Ren is holding a hop, cone um yeah yeah yeah, it's just people just like enthusiasts doing it uh you know for the love of the game I guess (laughs) um yeah really fascinating group and it and a story like that shows me that no matter how much I'm I have been reporting on beer there are just corners of the beer world that I don't know about yet and um that's that's the cool part of being a writer
0: yeah that was super interesting yeah and I don't you know per like Rex right he was saying that just he doesn't know of anyone who's been sued or got a mm-hmm. cease and desist at least yet. I mean, there's so many breweries. Like, I think like Stone Brewing is constantly just sitting there, like sending out cease and desist on beer names or whatever. But you know, yep. somehow these maybe because they're so like underground, like it's just not getting the attention yet.
1: Yeah, I I tried to reach out to a few large corporations like Nintendo and Fox, who owns the Simpsons or whatever, just to see like, is this yeah. something you even care about? like basically no one got back to me um (laughs) nintendo said they had no comment uh but you know (laughs) i think it might just be that like this is small potatoes to them for now
0: not not worth Um, until it until it is
1: until it until it isn't anymore um but these i think these designers also sort of know that they're working in pretty small batches of like 48 or 92 glasses so maybe that's how they get around it
0: Yeah, you're just going to end up finding one that's going to be like this glass sold for eight grand or something, right? and it's like you know
1: exactly. Yeah, there is like a resale market for them too. And is it coveted ones? And I, I, yeah, again, like talk about a whole little subculture and economy that you didn't even realize existed.
0: Hopefully, the uh, the fragile sticker is very prominent on the box, and uh, it just doesn't you know <laughs>
1: so spend much your life up.
0: savings on the Bart Simpson glass, <laughs> and it's shattered when it gets there.
1: So much bubble wrap. Brutal. cool. Well,
0: I thought that was interesting. Um, the other, the other topics that I saw, you know, just the rise of direct to consumer shipping and, you know, is this as prominent where you are as it is, you know, out on the East coast and, you know, with COVID and all that, and what are the trends you're seeing?
1: Yeah. So direct to consumer and e-commerce are something I've covered extensively for craft beer and brewing and for good beer hunting. Um, I think those, those methods of buying beer were already on the rise before COVID and then COVID yeah. just put gasoline on that fire. Um, there's currently some legislation pending at a federal level, which would allow the USPS to deliver alcohol for the first time. Interesting. Um, yeah, because FedEx and UPS can, if you declare it and, you know, dot all your I's and cross your T's and the USPS cannot. And, uh, there's now some legislation introduced that would allow them to do that. Uh, so I think this is a, a topic people are watching, breweries are watching, um, consumers. I think want this ability very much. Well, um, it's convenient,
0: and I can get beer from a place that I don't feel like driving seven hours to. You know, totally.
1: Um, where it gets tricky is like making the economics work. So you know, for very coveted beers and limited releases and stuff like that, you know, where you can charge um $23 for a four-pack. You know, okay, maybe shipping that makes sense. But for most people, just like buying their favorite six packs, like that's not something they're gonna necessarily order online unless it was to become right. like an Amazon how I get my paper towels.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Also get my favorite, you know, fridge beer. Um, so I think, you know, out here, I don't see it in Montana being like a huge thing that people are clamoring for, but I've had breweries ask me about it, um, because they know they have fans in other States who would probably pay a premium to be able to get that beer. Um, it's just going to take a lot of, legal um still legal changes yep. and like more logistics easier compliance compliance is not fun to talk about but yeah. <laughs> it is a huge you know if you want to ship to three different states like do you as a brewery employee want to take on the task of ensuring you're paying your state sales taxes and you know in compliance with all of the state regulations it's a huge headache so the more services that exist to streamline that and the more it kind of gets, a little bit more seamless it, yeah, it has yeah. better viability
0: it, the packaging can be a pain i know there's so many breweries yeah. who are trying to figure this out it's like well do we want to do it this way do we want to do it that way do we ship it cold is it going to get too hot like what yeah there's so many variables that you can't control yeah. once it leaves your property your property and then yeah. you know that beer might show up at someone's place and it's shaken up it's warm it's it's not it doesn't taste how it was intended to taste and yeah. you know, that, that could be a bad reflection on the brewery
1: Totally. Do you, do you order beers through any like service or anything like that? Do you, you No, know, I
0: don't, um, yeah. you know, but I do order from breweries, you know, direct from the brewery and say, Hey, you know, I wanted this case or whatever this four pack or whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and some yeah. of the shipping costs, is just like crazy. It's like, you know, you can only get two four packs and shipping's $35. You're like, well, or I can just go <laughs> to the beer distributor and, you know, just suck it up, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think all those, you know, the the economics of it need to still kind of equalize for this to be a real force. But again, especially for some of those premium things, I think that's where you'll actually see this sure. happen quickly.
0: And I think on June 24th, I just saw an article, I think New York stopped allowing the shipping. Um, they kind of opened it up for COVID purposes and now they're like, nope, we're done. And yeah, that's, you know that was a moneymaker for a lot of businesses. And now, now everybody's pretty, pretty angry about it.
1: Totally. Yeah. That was a big, that was a big shock because it, that decision happened pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. Just kind
0: of, just kind of like, we're done (laughs) overnight. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Literally overnight. Um, But I, I believe the New York state liquor authority has uh, since kind of come out with more guidance that says if your brewery has an on premise license so if you are a manufacturing brewery with an on-premise license you can continue i believe delivering so there are there are workarounds Um, it is
0: based on licenses yeah
1: yeah so it's it's gonna be it's just tricky to explain that to drinkers right like oh (laughs) i used to be able to get beer from you and now i can't or i can get it from you but not this other guy why um there's a lot of confusion i think there from the consumer end about what the legalities are
0: yeah. It was funny. Like it was probably like July, 2020. I would ordered beer from Philadelphia from a brewery down there. And the, the UPS guy, I think it was the first time I ordered like a case and the UPS guy walks up to my front porch. He goes, here's your alcohol. And he leaves. And I was like,
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. Nice UPS man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, that's
0: fine. It's like extra shaking for you.
1: <laughs> um, I love some of the, um, not even like delivery, but just to-go setups that breweries yeah. have had in place because of COVID. I was I was in Philadelphia in May and I went to um, Human Robot yeah. and they had this very cool, just little window and then some yeah. nice big tables set up on the sidewalk. And I was like, I don't even miss being able to go inside. Like, this right. is actually really nice. Uh, I, I love how breweries have been creative and created the little like lemonade stand outside yeah. their breweries.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been cool. It's been convenient. You get it on the go, you know, you don't have to wait as long, um, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. you
0: know, it's definitely now, obviously you're limited to what you can take uh, maybe in ounces wise, but also in, you know, the they might have 15 beers on tap, but only three in a can, you know, so sure is what it is, but it's, 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 uh it's definitely been a great workaround it's option. We, yeah, yeah. Our, this industry was the most creative, you know, constantly, you like, you know, just when you thought it couldn't get more creative, like, Oh, now we can do this. Like, who the hell thought of that? <laughs> you know? Totally.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so. I'm so glad that, I mean, when it was March of 2020 and I was starting to report on like COVID's impacts on the beer industry. I mean, I thought, is there even going to be an industry for me to cover? Right. What's that going to look like? Yeah. Um, And just the fact, you know, not to minimize the very deep struggles of, of some breweries during this time and the layoffs and, um, a lot of hard decisions, but the fact that we did not see the thousands of closures is a real testament to the in, you know the innovation and like stick to itiveness of uh, of this industry. I'm yeah. I'm impressed.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it just the fact that you could just the way that the rules changed a little bit for the delivery or for the to go was that's a game changer. So. Absolutely. Cool. Um, dissolved oxygen in cans. I saw you put out an article about that, and I was like. I'm going to email Kate on this. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not something that we've talked about on the podcast. So I just wanted to see, you know, what your findings were and, and what were some of the tips or takeaways, you know, from those conversations that you had.
1: Yeah. Um, the, thank you for thinking dissolved oxygen is a cool topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, it it was of interest to me for the Brewing Industry Guide because um we know so many breweries that were not packaging before covid you know now are and usually on inline canners mobile canners um you know not the not necessarily the ferraris of canning lines and yeah doing it by
0: hand you got a two head or you know it's labor intensive and then to find a beer is not what you thought it was going to be is upsetting
1: exactly and so what my strategy for reporting the story uh, was to call brewers who had previously worked on smaller inline machines and now had like leveled up to the rotary canners and for them to share their problem solving troubleshooting because so much of that is just like problem solving in the moment. And like, what are some small steps I can do to get this like as close to what I want in my deal level. Um, So I think the primary piece of advice that these brewers conveyed to me was like, you can't fix what you don't measure. So you have to be testing cans almost constantly as you're as you're canning because you're yeah. getting two that say 20 parts per billion. You're like, amazing. Look at me. And then the next one's like 100. And you're like, oh, okay. Wait, yeah. So you and gotta it have can a, vary. You gotta have a
0: process, right? You got to have a process. You got to yeah. teach it. Maybe you're not working on the next canning day and somebody else is like, how do we have some sort of consistency?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just like each little part of that system is an opportunity for something to go wrong. So <laughs> are you keeping your lines, you know, clamps, gaskets, uh, you know, are the, are those all okay? Cause even if the filler is fine, like, Oh, you have a, a a weird line. Like now you're, now you're introducing DO. Um, and then lastly, I thought this was really interesting. There was some advice, um, from the brewers at Wiseacre and also at Green Bench Brewing, um, about reducing headspace. Um, so over, over overfilling cans can actually be, you know, it, it results in some lost product, but it can help you with those DO levels and -hmm. then, um, not, purging too hard um, on the co2 when you're blasting it into the can because you might think like the harder i force that co2 into there uh you know the less opportunity there is for oxygen to be in there but um you can actually what you really want to do is kind of create like a a a little soft blanket of of co2 Mm. at the bottom of the can and an over purging um the wiseacre and green bench were telling me has actually led them to have higher do readings. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was a very, you know, I think it really just is like trial and error. Ask the people that have done it longer than you, um, yeah. on similar machines
0: practice. And, yeah. And, yeah. Interesting. So many parts where things can go wrong.
1: Yeah. It's just, I mean, as a person who is not, mechanically inclined is how I would describe <laughs> myself. This just was like my nightmare. And I'm like, so you're telling me there are 25 different places that things can go wrong and all of them can go wrong at different times. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your It makes plan? me
1: appreciate, you know, it makes me really appreciate like a great, high quality can of beer i'm like wow like this tastes awesome good yeah. job <laughs> yeah no
0: it's you know again i, I always talk a lot about it, just the fact that you walk into a brewery or you open up a can and you're like i'm gonna take that beer i'm gonna drink that beer and not think about you know the brewer was mm-hmm. there at five in the morning and prepping the, the water and weighing the hops and all you know it's a dirty job and it takes hours upon hours and then you have to clean you know when you're tired mm-hmm. and you don't want to so mm-hmm. it's uh, mm-hmm. it certainly is a craft
1: totally
0: so, is. cool well i appreciate that info Uh, Do you listen to music while you write or you go silent?
1: Um, I am a silent writer with no music. Um, Yeah. Which some people are like, how do you do that? Um, But for me, I I feel like I'm always reading my sentences back to myself in my head as I'm writing. So there's, there's an internal dialogue happening and I really need to, hear the way the sentences sound next to each other and things like that. And I just, I've never figured out how to do that while listening to music.
0: Yeah. I certainly, if I'm preparing for like a speech or something, right. I'll write it out, but then I say it out loud. And when you, it's, there's something, you know, when you read it, you know, in your head to hearing it um, or have somebody 100%. else read it to you, you're like, Oh, I hate it. Or, Oh, that's perfect. Or like, whatever, you know, but you yeah. got to hear it from different angles.
1: Totally. And then hear how one paragraph kind of, leads into the next. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm just constantly reading yeah, my whether
0: it's back smooth or choppy, right? Like where's the transition? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: Rhythm. Um yeah. So no, no music for me, just my dog barking <laughs> in the background.
0: <laughs> and what kind of dog do you have?
1: Uh Black Lab. Nice. Well,
0: what's He's your black 10. lab's name? He's
1: great. Camus. Camus? Camus. It's a it's a type of wildflower out here. Yeah. Very cool. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Just my All little
1: right. work from home buddy.
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: What was uh,
0: the most fun you had, you know, while researching for an article?
1: Oh my gosh, that's so hard. I have had some really cool experiences. Um, recently, I profiled a cider um cider maker and orchardist here mm. in montana for imbibe magazine and mm. um we got to spend a very cold cold winter day out at his orchard <laughs> There wasn't much growing but um you know the little little yeah. tiny yeah. stick trees are out there and it was just a beautiful it was a beautiful part of the state beautiful orchard despite yes. the very cold weather and those are the kinds of opportunities that I love as a reporter to go to a place to see where this person works, to see the clothes they wear, the car they drive, what kind of yeah. dog they have. I mean, it all helps you put together this, this cool picture uh, of this. So that was a, that was a really nice experience recently. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting like way more exciting (laughs) things that I've done but like just going going to places and meeting people and seeing them in their environment is so important
0: I agree um Missoula is probably not too far from Yellowstone doesn't Yellowstone kind of drift into Montana a little bit
1: yeah I was actually I took my mom to Yellowstone two weeks ago because she was in town visiting and had never been so it's about from Missoula it's like a four four and a half hour drive
0: okay yeah that's a it's a bucket lister
1: it's yeah. yeah and but glacier national park is much closer to missoula but you could i mean if you're gonna make it all the way out to montana you may as well do both
0: <laughs> yeah i agree for sure um all right so that was the most fun you had researching what was like the most interesting topic person or brewery that you've interviewed oh wow Oh, Do you travel a lot for for writing or mostly? I used home? to, yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. I, um, Yeah, I used to get to travel quite a bit. Obviously, COVID put a big um, mm-hmm. damper on, on that. But, um, oh man, <sighs> putting me on the spot. Um,
0: These are just, rapid fire questions and they are meant to be putting you on the spot. <laughs>
1: Um, it's like, I can't even remember travel. I'm like, where have I gone <laughs> like, ever in the world? Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass on that one because I literally can't remember the before times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just block them all out.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I've never done anything except report in my basement.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Um uh, what, all right. How about this? How about, uh, as far as travel, what hmm. would be a place that you want to go to that you have never been to?
1: I, domestically, I need to go to Maine. I need to go to the state of Maine. It has been on my list for so long. I've never been. I feel like it is beckoning to me. So that is on the bucket list. And then um, internationally, I have been trying to plan a backpacking trip through the Black Forest, which would obviously involve a lot of beer drinking and a trip to Franconia. And then, you know, why not just go to the Swiss Alps while you're done? So I have this crazy black forest backpacking, beer drinking thing laid out in my head that I just need to actually put on the calendar. I
0: like it. Yeah. Well, hopefully I hope that you get to do that.
1: I yeah. hope so too. Um, I need more time with Duolingo to learn German.
0: <laughs> ah, I love Duolingo. Uh,
1: German's hard, man. I, yeah. I, have, I, I can now say like, I am a woman. I want water. It's not very <laughs> <good>. <laughs>
0: Well, I, those are two important things. I mean, <laughs> you gotta identify yourself, and you can't live. You know what? You can only live but two, three days without water. Yeah, so I can just sound important. like
1: a complete crazy person, and <laughs> you know, yeah, that's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> uh,
0: I am journalist. I need water. I am. An,
1: <laughs> I am American journalist. Where is water? Yeah,
0: April O'Neill. Yep. <laughs> Cool. Okay. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for all you do. Thanks for taking the time to sit with me here. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to all your articles. I truly just enjoy reading them. So.
1: You bet. Thanks. thanks. For all you do. Yeah. And thank you for the storytelling that you do and the cool people that you put on my radar, you know, like yeah. that's how I find sources for things. It's just no. like, I'll hear a podcast and be like, that person sounds great to talk to <laughs> So, uh, yeah, thank you. It was so great to chat. And, uh, when you make it out on your Montana trip, you know who to call.
0: I'm doing it. We're doing it. Does your husband fly fish?
1: He does. Yeah. Yeah. He'll tell you where to go.
0: (laughs) Not Arizona.
1: Not Arizona. I mean, they have trout there, but they're just, they're, they're really struggling.
0: Yeah. hot water. Trout like cold water. (laughs) All right, Kate. Well, I appreciate you. Cheers. And thank thank you. you. Thank you. that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things